parent. And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, the Vicious Cycles from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada with 12N, 12A, 4A, 1. 12N, 12A, 4A, 1 featuring Reverend Norman on... Thurman! Hello, Reverend Norman! And today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, speaking of Theremin, an interview with Sean Michaels, author of a brand new book called Us Conductors, all about the Theremin, a brand new novel all about the Theremin. Sean Michaels, today and the Theremin on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard a little Theremin there again, as played by the Vicious Cycles, as played by Reverend Norman, playing Theremin in the Vicious Cycles in a tune 12N, 12A, 4A1. And right now, going to hear a whole bunch more of Theremin inspired music. This was actually given to me by Shawn Michaels, author of Us Conductors. And when we come out of this whole chunk of music, we'll hopefully have Shawn, author of Us Conductors, to tell us about what we heard. So right now, a chunk of theremonization as provided by Shawn Michaels. And in an interview with Shawn Michaels, 
author of a brand new novel all about the theremin on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. Absolutely gorgeous, The Swan of Saint-Saëns, played by Clara Rockmore on the theremin. Later on, we will ask Clara to uh, explain the instrument a little more. Very basically, it, is, uh, it works on the principle of the electric eye. You know, when you approach a door and it opens before you get there, you have broken the magnetic field and caused the door to open. Well, the instrument puts out a magnetic field in which the performer stands, which is why the player has to be absolutely still because you can't wag your head or dance or tap your feet or anything because that will throw the uh, field out of alignment. And then there are two antennas. The uh, vertical one controls the pitch. The closer you move your hand to the pole, the higher the tone. When you move back, it gets lower. But of course, if you move your hand that way, you're going to get a glissando through every note. And uh, that is sometimes the reputation that the theremin has had when people don't know how to play the theremin too well. Now, when you control it with a finger vibrato and a finger motion, you get the kind of clear 
passage from note to note that you just heard there. The other antenna controls the volume. That's a horizontal antenna. Same thing, you do not touch the instrument while you play it, but when the hand is close to that uh, horizontal antenna, the sound is quiet. When it's further away, it is, it is louder. And with that as preface, let's listen to another piece. Another thing I should have told you about the instrument, it has an extraordinary range of uh, many octaves, and as a result, you can not only play violin repertory music, but cello repertory. We're going to have all the cellists from the Villancello Society later on, so before they arrive, Clara's going to swipe one of their pieces. And this is the Requiebros of Gaspar Casado.
And I guess it's safe to say that that is the first time you have heard the Largo from the Bach D minor concerto that way, played theremin, violin, and piano by Clara Rockmore, Eric Friedman, and Nadia Reisenberg. Absolutely beautiful. And so a welcome to our very special guests, Clara Rockmore, Nadia Reisenberg, Eric Friedman. And Eric, let me start by wondering what it's like for a violinist to play with a thereminist. I originally thought it was a vitamin. Something one takes in the morning. <laughs> but I must say that um, I know Clara has, has uh, who is so marvelously modest, you know, is very grateful that I'm playing with her. And actually, I'm grateful to play with her because I wish violinists could learn the sustaining power and the, the, the emotional impact of that instrument and what she does with it. I think it's a marvel. I really do. Clara, how do you feel about, I mean, you were sitting there envying the violinist, his bow and his fingerboard and all the rest of it. Well, I would prefer to play the Bach on four strings, <laughs> and playing it in the air is not unlike a trapeze artist who has to make jumps in the air without a net underneath. You don't know whether you land there or not. But it was a joy to play with Eric and a joy to play with Nadia. And for me, chamber music is the, as a former violinist, that's what I miss most. So it was a thrill. And Mom, from your point of view, how did the trio sound? Well, I think they are both consummate musicians. They are certainly musicians of excellent taste. And I think almost without rehearsal, actually, if somebody would know just how little we rehearsed, it is quite wonderful that, that we can achieve the kind of ensemble that we did. I must, yes. I must say that, uh, that I played this, the last time I played this in my, in my life, forgive me for mentioning it, was with Yasha Heifetz on a recording. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's unfair of Clara because I didn't know the first violent part. I only know the second violent part. <laughs> <laughs> Clara, what is involved in finding your way in the air? I mean, how do you know where in this spectrum of uh, airspace near the antenna that you're supposed to be. You don't know, but you have an instinct and you have uh, you work and uh, uh, it is, it is uh, of course, impossible for me as a musician to just play everything Lissanda. So just to make music, I, it, I, it's necessary to take the risk and to jump and to try to jump in the middle of the note because there are not only you have to hit the right note, you have to hit the middle of the note the center of the note, mm -hmm. to be in tune. So that's uh, not well, an easy thing to achieve. Well, I can tell you that I've tried to play this theremin several times, and in spite of my absolute pitch, I can't play three notes in tune <laughs> on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to correct something, it should be a tiny bit higher or not, I get a third higher <laughs> or fourth. <laughs> well, that's right, because really, the, you have this, how many octaves? I have five octaves approximately uh, within the span of my arm, which is not very long, as you know. So that the spacings are tiny. Yes. And it's really quite extraordinary. Now that our violinists and pianists know how easy it is to play their regular instruments, <laughs> we decided to put them to work as well. Oh, and uh, Eric and Nadia, you will? Yes. Uh, we're going to have a performance here of the first two movements of the Franck Sonata in A Major. So, Eric Friedman, Nadia Reisenberg. <laughs>
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And we have a caller right now. Hello, are you there, caller? I am here. Yes, I'm here. Who are you? I am Sean Michaels, an author and music critic living in Montreal. Welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette Show, Sean Michaels, who lives in Montreal but is now in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. I am in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, and I'm delighted to be here. And what exactly do you do? Why are you in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada? Why are you in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada? Could you please tell the listeners? I wrote a novel called Us Conductors, and uh, I've been here on the West Coast um, promoting it. I'm doing an event here in Victoria in just a few hours, and then going to Nanaimo tomorrow. So when I say Shawn Michaels, there's a few other Shawn Michaels out there. Do the other Shawn Michaels have books? Could you please maybe elaborate? Who is Shawn Michaels? (laughs) There are two other notorious Shawn Michaelses. One is a wrestler. Uh, I believe he does have a memoir, in fact, though I have not read it. Uh, and then there's a porn star as well. Uh, he does not have a memoir, but I've been trying. I've literally this week. I was just given his phone number yesterday because uh, I'd like to do an interview with him. That would be really interesting. That you could maybe end up ghostwriting his biography, <laughs> Shawn Michaels yeah. by Shawn Michaels. I'd love that. Yeah, if it, you could even it would say Shawn Michaels by Shawn Michaels, and it would be ghostwritten, but no one would know it was ghostwritten. So you'd be writing about Shawn Michaels, but in this particular book, novel, you wrote about the theremin. Could you tell the people a little bit about Us Conductors right off the bat here? Yeah, so Us Conductors is a uh, novel, a work of fiction that is inspired and dreamed up by, inspired, based on the true story of Lev Sergeyevich Theremin, the inventor of the theremin, and the story of his uh, relationship with Clara Rockmore, the greatest theremin player of all time. Who we so I use, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, who we just heard on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. We just heard Summertime. As performed by Clara, yeah. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say? Something there before I interrupted well, you. I was just going to say that it takes their true story, but kind of uh, plays with it. And so although it's inspired by the true story, I would say that I'm, I'm doing my own version. In my, in my version of the story, uh, Lev is, uh, you know, is a kung fu fighter who... Uh, who, uh, as well as a Russian scientist and spy, and there's, there's a little bit more action and, uh, and, a, and a lot more, a different kind of love, I think, than maybe existed in the real historical version. So, Sean, you kindly sent a bunch of tracks for me to play. What did we just hear? Like, we heard right there, Clara with Summertime, right? Yeah. So, Clara was, uh, the real Clara was a violinist who was born in Lithuania and came to North America, and she was this violin prodigy, until in her late teens, an injury, essentially probably due to like having been too hungry as a kid, um, meant that she had to give up the violin, and she took up the theremin, which was at that time a sensation. Um, and she had, the inventor of the theremin, Lev, had been living in, although he was a Russian scientist, was living in New York, and was kind of the, one of the most famous people in New York City at that time. And he... Uh, uh, he had fallen in love with this teenage violinist. And so he was smitten with her and also her teacher as she took up the theremin and started to uh, learn to play. And we heard Clara Rockmore doing Summertime. And for people that don't know, what is the theremin? And somebody's listening going, what did I hear? Like, were we hearing the theremin? How can you guarantee that we were hearing the theremin and not something <laughs> else? Because people are probably used to that sound, but maybe it's not generated by the theremin anymore. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's, nowadays it can really sound like a synthesizer or another kind of electronic box or digital uh, gizmo, but the theremin was actually the very first 
more or less the very first electronic musical instrument. Um, and it's very uh, unique because it's probably the only uh, musical instrument in the world that's played by not touching it. Uh, it's kind of a box the size of whatever, a toaster oven with two big antennas coming out of it. And each of those antennas emits an electrical feel. And you play it by moving your arms and hands around those antennas, uh, disrupting the electrical fields and generating this, this music that can, at worst, you know, sounds kind of like a, an alarm or a UFO. But at best, as you'll have heard, sounds almost like a human voice or like a cello. So we heard Clara playing Summertime, and before that we heard like a little interview, some commentary. What was that about, some commentary and interviews? Yeah, there's this, I mean, strangely, there aren't very many. Clara was really like a world-famous, or at least famous uh, across the United States as a thereminist at a time when the theremin was very hot in the 30s. But um, unfortunately, there aren't really very many recordings of her until a couple of decades later. And so this is a recording from, I believe it's from the mid-60s, um, so she's a little bit older, and it's this great recording of her performing um, as introduced by her son-in-law. I think it's her son-in-law you're hearing speaking. Um, and she's just demoing some theremin material uh, as he explains a little bit about what the people are listening to. Then we heard some Bach, Concerto for Two Violins in D Minor. Was that part of that, too? Um, yeah, uh, I think it was part of the same segment. Uh, so it's possible, I'm, I wish I had that paper in front of me, but uh, I believe that I also, I may have also sent you a piece by Lydia Kavina performing that, and so she's a modern thereminist and one of the kind of descendants of that tradition. It was 834, the track's length. We think that could have been her, it was 834. Yeah, it could have been her. <laughs> Is that the usual length of theremin? I mean, you've got to have like a long track just so you can hear the theremin, right? Yeah, well, if, you're gonna, if it's going to be a piece of classical music, you kind of don't want to do a... I think that if the theremin, if you hear it too briefly, it just sounds like, I don't know, some crashing computer or something. You really need to, I think, take your time with it for, it to, for its beauty to come across. Well, we heard Percy Granger before that with Free Music Number 1 from 1936, and it was only a minute 30. What was that? So that was, okay, that was a track by Lydia Kavina composed by Percy Granger. And so she, she did an album... As I said, she's a modern thermist, and she did an album visiting sort of different kinds of material for theremin. So that's someone who com- Percy Granger composed that piece for the theremin in the twentieth mid twentieth century, and so it's more of a crazy jam that she's doing. But very, but very particular. The theremin is really, really hard to play, and so these people that are able to kind of play precisely, even if it sounds chaotic, that precision is very uh, hard to to reach. And before that, we had a bit more commentary, and then we began with The Swan, and you said that that was by Clara Rockmore? So that, The Swan is, um, in this case, was performed by Clara Rockmore. That's a piece by the composer Saint-Saëns from his Carnival of the Animals, and it's most famous. It was originally for an orchestra um, with, a, I think, a cello part, but it's become one of the famous showcases for the theremin, where the theremin takes over the cello part. Um, and it's a very important piece in my book where it kind of becomes the showpiece that the characters frequently play to demonstrate the theremin. And, and later in life, um, Lev is sent, um, after he leaves New York, he returns to Russia and he's uh, imprisoned under Stalin and sent out to a, to a gulag in Siberia. And this, this truly happened. And the book follows, follows part of his story as he goes to the gulag and, and often as he's sort of laying in his barracks in this frozen taiga, he finds himself sort of imagining and, and hearing the swan uh, echoing in his, in his memory. 
and you were Shawn Michaels, author of the book, Us Conductors, or U.S. Conductors, perhaps? Does anybody think it's U.S. Conductors, Canadian Conductors? <laughs> it's Canadian Conductors for now. Canadian Conductors right now. And actually, if people want to hear you read and see a performance by Cleopatra and Nile, it's happening today in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, and tomorrow in Nanaimo. That's right. Yeah, um, Cleopatra and the Nile is a theremin electro pop duo uh, from here, and we'll be at the Solstice Cafe tonight here at 7 p.m. in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. And tomorrow you'll be in Nanaimo as well, doing a reading. Yeah, Nanaimo at the uh, Harborfront Public Library. I think it is at two o'clock. So, Sean, author of Us Conductors, for, right off the bat, um, I love the way the book feels. Did you request that? Oh, the touch of it. No. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a nice feeling. I'm glad. Thank you for saying that, Nardwar. Well, did you, re- you didn't request that then. You just like tanned it into Random House and it came out so touchy because I kind of thought it's for, you want to touch it, which is the opposite from a theremin because you don't want to yeah. touch it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. No, I didn't. They didn't give me any paper to sign. I was very pleased. You're right. But it does smudge easily. You can, if it smudges, you can polish it clean with a cloth. It just feels incredible. Like, I think it's the best feeling book that I've felt in a long, long, long time. So good job getting right. Ra- was, it, was it hard to get a publisher? Yes, getting a publisher is, is actually very, it's, like a, it's a hard process. Um, I, I got quite lucky with this book. The publisher is Random House, which is obviously a big, a big machine. Um, but it's a hard process as a writer to find a publisher. Did you have to approach Random House USA? Did you have to approach Random House Canada? How did that work? Well, that's a great example, actually. I mean, we, I, pl- I say we, I, I, I found a literary agent, which is just as hard as finding a publisher. And then she takes the book around to different publishers, and you hope that someone says yes. And so in Canada, there was quite a, people were quite interested in the book, and they took it, we, we first submitted it to Random House of Canada and some other publishers. Uh, but then when we went, time to go into the States, for instance, Random House United States did not, they declined to publish the book. And, uh, so it's a process of, of taking it around to lots of other publishers to see what they have to say. So the book is coming out in the States next month with a publisher called Tin House, but they're kind of the hip indie label uh, compared to Random House, the big major. And that's sort of indicative of Theremin's career, right? Like it didn't take off in the States. He could have got his stuff in the States, but it didn't happen, right? Yeah, in the end, the Theremin was a big flop in the States and he had to run away home. When you read the book, Us Conductors, we're speaking here to Shawn Michaels, author of the book, Us Conductors, all about the theremin and Lev Theremin, because not his name, I thought his name was Theremin, but it's actually Theremin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. When you were reading the book, are you reading the book in the sense that, like, is he writing the book or is he dictating this book? Because as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, is he writing it? Is he dictating it? He is writing it. The book is split into two halves, and each half is a letter that he's sort of sending to Clara uh, across the sea. In the first half of the book, he's in a ship locked in a cabin, uh, fleeing America, uh, and writing this letter to, this, to his love across the water. And in the second half of the book, it's about 10 years later, and he is in a, essentially again in a cell, but this time in Moscow, where he is spying on Stalin himself and remembering his time in America and writing a different kind of letter to Clara. Well, I guess I was thinking about the actual construction of the book. Like, did he actually get an agent? And I was thinking, like, <laughs> you know, like, if you were going to this full thing, like, did he get an agent and an agent that said, okay, Mr. Terman, we'd like you to please use this ghostwriter, like use Shawn Michaels, and he will take your story and record it and then transcribe it. 
Yeah, I would love if that were so that we could have some we could have some nice glasses of vodka across the table from each other, and I could hear his tale. That's what I thought. Perhaps that that actually was happening. I was Not thinking that perhaps it, you were trying to make sure that that was actually going to happen. And for theremin and the theremin, what are the documented cases of Chaplin using a theremin? Charlie Chaplin. Well, there are. There, I mean, what I know is from just reading books about it, but the theremin was enough of a sensation at the time that there were people, they would send RCA, which was marketing a theremin, would send thereminists around the country to show off, show off at music stores or at concert halls and show what it could do, or to individually sell them to celebrities. So Charlie Chaplin did indeed uh, buy, buy a theremin. He, I, I suspect he probably never got any good at playing it. The, uh, the Marx Brothers also had a, a radio show, like a weekly brief radio segment promoting the theremin um, at its height. The book is called Us Conductors, but we'll say Canadian Conductors for the moment here. And we're speaking to Sean Michaels, the author of the book Us Conductors, all about the theremin. The theremin. What are the Canadian connections in the book? I notice that there is something about puking in a Canadian toilet. <laughs> yeah, there is a moment. There is a moment where on a on a boat, um, as he's feeling rather seasick, he bends over a toilet that was made in Toronto. I'll I'll let the citizens of British Columbia, Canada, uh, take their own message from that. There also was a reference to the Texas 300 Club? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Texas Guinan's 300 Club. In other words, the, the nightclubs in New York uh, in the 1920s and 1930s were insane. They were so crazy. There were clubs with, you know, pi- waiters in pirate costumes who would have sword fights and at certain times, and then there would be a, a thunderstorm every two hours with, like, thunder sheets and rain spritzing. There were, like, fake snowball fights with felt snowballs. There were, you know, bands that would play with brass, you know, jazz bands that would play with their, the mutes on all of their instruments until a certain time in the night when they take off the mutes and suddenly the music would be so much more loud and clear. And I don't know. So Texas Guinan's, the 300 Club, was, like, one of the most exclusive and cool secret clubs in New York around 1928. And Terman went there? Yeah, well, uh, in my book he does. Uh, he was in, enjoying the nightlife. We know that for a fact. Uh, and in my book, certainly, he loves to go dancing, and he and Clara go exploring some of these clubs. Well, I guess I was also curious about when you say, well, in my book, your book, to me, is like a biography. It's like a biography. I want to believe everything that's in it. Well, that would be a very, uh, that's a lovely thing to say, but it would also be very dangerous. I would say. Uh, the Thurman in my book is, as I said, he's a kung fu guy. He commits a murder. There's, there's lots of stuff that is, that is not at all true. Uh, but I, but I, so it's better to think of as like, a, as like a, a sort of mythical, fantastical dream inspired by what really happened. Have you sent the book to any of Thurman's relatives at all? Oh, I had a, I mean, between you and me, I actually, when I, I visited Russia as part of the research for this book, and I hoped to speak to Theremin's grandson, Peter Theremin, who is a kind of a, a champion of the Theremin, and when, when we started, when I got in touch with him, he was immediately extremely hostile and scary. Um, he did not like the idea of anyone, anyone other than him doing something to do with his grandfather, certainly someone who was going to be lying about it in a work of fiction. Um, he didn't like that at all. Have you touched any of Terraman's creations at all? Um, when I was in Russia, the closest I've come is that I, I mean, other than <laughs> I have a theremin, you know, I have a theremin here that, uh, I mean, in my home in Montreal, but, but 
that he technically is one of, that technically is one of his creations, but it's not like he built it. But when I was in Russia, I got to visit um, the Terman Center where um, one of the curators there showed me some documents, and I was it was very cool to actually be paging through you know contracts and notes that had Terman's own signature and his that he had written by hand. So I did sort of in this weird, creepy stalker way, kind of feel his signature with my finger. So Terraman creates the Theremin, comes to the United States of America, and he ends up playing parties for rich families in Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. He was when he was on the boat coming over, he immediately already he was getting these telegrams inviting him to play for, you know, the the millionaires of America or the thousandaires of America for huge amounts of money. I mean the Theremin was really kind of like the iPad or the Google Glass of nineteen twenty seven. Uh, everyone wanted a piece of it. Maybe whole arenas would fill up of people who wanted to see what it looked like. Um, yeah, so he had all sorts of patrons who were trying to chase this communist's interest. And he knew Kung Fu? Is that true? N- that's not, not at all true, no. <laughs> so you added no. the Kung Fu part? The Kung Fu's all, all new, yeah. So Terraman did not know Kung Fu. But did Terraman have a friend called Pash? Was there a guy called Pash? No, there was no guy called Pash in real life either. There's a so Pash is a character in the book who's who's sort of Thurman's spy master handler in America, and I I invented that character after hearing references or reading references in a lot of the accounts to like there are a bunch of guys floating around Thurman with different names that it wasn't clear who or what they were, and so I decided they'd maybe all be the same person with a. With this, with with the I don't know the pseudonym Pash. So were all the fake characters based on real events, real people? Yeah, so it's like the and how many fake? Like, oh, s- he performed with a guy called Goldberg, but I but I'm not sure who Gold. You know, the research the scholars are like but I'm not sure who Goldberg was. He also performed with a guy called Yuri, but I don't know who Yuri is and Goreff, and I don't know who Goreff is. And it's like who is these Yuriff and Goreff, Yuri and Goreff and Goldberg? I was like, oh, I'm going to imagine it's just one dude who's a secret spy who's in America looking after Terraman. That's awesome. You were able to use people's research and get something from uh, normally for other researchers that would be a dead end, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they go looking for Pash, they're going to be out of luck. But I mean, in a way that like these researchers said that there were these people around Terraman and they were hanging around them, but they couldn't explore who these people were because they just didn't really know who they were. Like they couldn't put it in their book because it wasn't factual, but you can put it in your book because it doesn't matter. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. I can, I can do whatever I want. Did Random House want you to fact check it all, or did they want to fact check the book? They did. They didn't do the same. They, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Even when you're doing a book full of lies, fact checking happens. So Random House did copy editing, so they'll do things like they'll check if I mention the name of a street, they'll, and I say that you know on the hedges of of Thirty Fourth Street, you know, Terman peered through the hedges on Thirty Fourth Street. They'll check that, try to check if Thirty Fourth Street had any hedges. And if it didn't, they'll say, Sean, it didn't have any hedges. And then I have to decide if I'm going to keep the reference or change it. So they'll go back to 1934 on, like, MapQuest and see if yeah. there are hedges? Yeah, they will. And then it's, but it's very funny to me because given that I'm lying about all these true events, you know, the book is full of lies and kung fu that never really happened. But heaven forbid the, the hedges that aren't there are said to be there. Now, you mentioned Pash, as I mentioned Pash. The guys who were hanging around Terraman, were they playing Theremin with him? Well, he had a lot of students. Started, people started to study the Theremin. And then because it was such a sensation, people became very interested in, um, 
in uh, hanging around him and, and his students, even if they weren't themselves playing it. So he was pals, for instance, with like uh, Ira Gershwin and um, uh, Yasha Heifetz and some of these other sort of musical luminaries of the time. But they probably, I like to imagine them kind of uh, creeping near the theremin and poking at it and making it bark and then backing away and picking up their violins and trumpets and going back to whatever they're used to. And we're speaking here live to Sean Michaels, the author of Us Conductors, a book, a novel, all about the theremin and Lev Terramin. If anybody has any questions for Sean, you can tweet them at me, at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R, or you can call into CITR, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, because you're an expert on the theremin too, aren't you, Sean? Are you an expert on the theremin, or have you had a lot of experience with the theremin? When did you get into the theremin? I'm a bit of an expert, except that I can't remember very well anymore what I've made up and what's true, but I, I'm pretty good <laughs> Uh, I started researching it probably about five years ago um, when I started writing or planning to write the book. Um, but I've only learned, I only got my got a theremin about mm, four months ago, so I'm not much of a performer. Did Theremin really play to Coney Island to like 20,000 communists? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, he was playing to whole arenas full of people. Communists? Well, uh, probably a mixture of people who wanted to see this thing and communists, but but before the, you know, between the between the world wars and before Russia had kind of become the evil enemy of America, there were a lot of socialists and communists in America. Yeah, a major part of the book occurs on page forty nine, and the one day I met you. That's when, like, the readers get sucked into the action, right? You. Yeah, you. Um, yeah, the book has a uh, treats Clara in the second person as a you, and the reader kind of becomes a a representative for them. Did did Terramin ever get any money from any USA company to make the theremin in the USA? Like, he did something with RCA, and, like, only 485 survived? Well, only 485 were sold. I mean, he will have got a lot of money. I mean, Terramin was rich for several years. He lived in the suite, like, in a, he lived at the Plaza Hotel in New York. Um, he kind of swanned around. But during that time, he was secretly working as a spy, most likely. And, uh, and uh, in my version of events, at least, he wasn't entirely in control of his own bank account and the way that money was coming in and coming out. Um, but he was licensing his inventions, and he, and he probably made quite a lot of money. There were only 485 created? Or sold. Sold. Now, how, yeah. many, how many survived? Sorry, what? How, how did they survive? Like, how many survived? Are there oh. any originals still around? Yeah, I don't know how many survived. I would say probably easily 100 or 150, because there's a lot. You hear about them kicking around. There's one at the National Music Center in Calgary, um, and then various theremin collectors have them. I think like Peter Pringle, who's a Canadian theremin player in Quebec. I think he has one, too. What year were they made, then, the original batch? Those ones, it's probably like 1931... 1930, uh, yeah, right as the Great Depression was hitting, which is probably one of the big reasons they were such a flop. And Terramin liked egg sandwiches and sausages? <laughs> yeah, my Terramin did, and potato chips. Because the sausages come up quite a bit, don't they, in the book? Sausage well, mention. Well, who doesn't like sausages? You also mentioned pelmeni, too, the Russian food pelmeni, Russian ravioli. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't like Russian ravioli? Uh, what prompted you to put that in there? Did you experiment with pelmeni eating it when you got there to Russia? Yeah, yeah. I, ex- I worked. I did a lot of pelmeni research. 
It's so tasty. It's my favorite Russian food, Permanian. Yum. Mm-hmm. Did you go to New York to get a feel with what you were writing? Like, or did you use Google Maps or anything like that? You mentioned Random House went to New York via MapQuest. <laughs> did you? Yeah, go no, to- I went to New York. I, I walked by Chairman's old apartment and uh, uh, tried to get into the Plaza Hotel, for instance, but they wouldn't let me visit the apartments there. His old apartment is still there. Well, there's still, the Plaza Hotel has like these suites that are for people to live in rather than guests to stay in. And those are still there, but there's, pe- there's rich, you know, there's rich people who live at the Plaza Hotel today. Did you study the way Terraman wrote at all? Did you read his journals so you could make it like you knew how to write with like him? No, I didn't. No. Did you think about that? I thought about it for a little while, and then I, I was, I, I mean, I, he didn't really leave journals, but he did interviews, and so for a little while I was like, oh, maybe I'll imitate, you know, his vocabulary, and then I decided that was silly, and that I, I really wanted to, let, instead of trying to do a weird impersonation of a real person, and I wanted to tell the story that I wanted to tell. Terraman's U.S. stay, how documented was it? It, were a lot of pictures and films like there's that documentary about him and there seems to be a lot of films and stuff about him seems quite documented well he is and he isn't there would kind of be weird programs about him but it's not like everyone was recording everything in those days so there were lots and lots of performances that as far as i know there aren't records of except in newspaper you know newspapers would write them up but there's actually a surprising lack of uh, i'm surprised at the relative lack of um audiovisual documentation from that period in the 30s. How about the documentary, Electronic Odyssey? What do you think about that documentary about the Theremin and Mr. Theremin? It's a really cool documentary. Um, It's a really great introduction to these people. One of the things I think that inspired me to write the book as I did is that that documentary really paints a kind of mythic version of this love story between Lev and Clara, this kind of magical, true, tragic, true love. And part of what ended up inspiring the book was actually kind of trying to take a more skeptical look at that relationship and wondering about um, the idea of unreciprocal love and whether that has any power. Um, I kind of imagine that if Terman goes back to Russia and he had all these horrible things happen where he was sent to the gulag and so on, um, I kind of imagine that maybe his relationship with Clara was one of the things that helped him get through, even though that relationship maybe wasn't such a, a healthy love affair. And we're speaking here to Sean Michaels, the author of Us Conductors, a book all about, a novel all about the theremin. And why is it called the theremin and not the theremin? Like, if his name is Lev Theremin, why isn't it called the theremin? Uh, you know, it probably was, uh, or he would probably pronounce it like the the ter- theremin or something like that. And then uh, somewhere while he started out touring it in Germany and France and England, and somewhere in that process, his name was and its name was transliterated into having an extra syllable in there. The Carls. Why did the Carls stack the cherry pies all together on plates? And who were the Carls? So the Carls are, in, in this story, are, are, there's a Car- there are two men named Carl, Carl and Carl. One of them has a mustache and one has a beard. And they, are, they kind of look after, they're sort of spy masters that um, Terman works for or with in New York City. And uh, there's a, yeah, there's a, I think there's a moment where for sinister, re- or to kind of intimidate him, suddenly some plates are put, slammed down on top of each other. So was Terraman a spy? Did he play dumb? Was he a spy? Um, he was certainly 100% a spy in Russia, in that when he was sent back to Russia, he was put to work, working on eavesdropping devices. 
um, and uh, to allow the Russians to spy on the American ambassador, and probably later um, the Secret Service was listening in on Stalin. Well, when he was in America, there's now reason, reason to believe that he was working with the espionage agencies, though uh, the degree to which he was collaborating is unclear. But in my book, certainly he's kind of playing dumb, kind of in denial with himself about how much he's working for a foreign power while he's in America. Do you think he was forced into spying? Um, I don't, I really don't. I just, I mean, I guess it's a different, it depends if you're asking about yeah, the real guy. I don't know. I've never met the real guy. Um, so it's really just speculation. Um, I suspect that he kind of believed a little bit in what he was doing and believed in the Soviet ideal. But I also think he was just trying to like, he just wanted to make it to invent cool stuff and he kind of maybe relinquished responsibility for how that cool stuff might be used. How organized was Russian spying in New York in the 20s and 30s? I think it was pretty lousy. Uh, the Cold War really was just heating up. I mean, uh, hardly existed yet, you know, until the Second World War. So um, I think it was pretty ad hoc, and I think that's one of the reasons that um, Terman kind of eventually had to run away, uh, was that things weren't organized very, in a very stable way. And in your book, Us Conductors, speaking to Sean Michaels, author of the book, Us Conductors, all about the theremin, which features Lev Theremin, Lev splits someone's brains open. That did not occur. He never killed anybody? Not, not that we know, no. What made you think to have a death involved? Well, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I guess it's for partly for the dramatic the way you write a story is you want to have moments that have different ebbs and crests and ebbs and flows and crests and valleys and and to me it felt like a way to really mark a certain moment in a brutal way I, I was also interested in writing a book this is quite a poetic and um, uh, you know lyrical book it's not a, it's not a thriller but I like the idea of having some moments in the book that felt like they were ripped from the page from a from a John Grisham thriller, and, and that's one of those moments. Did Terraman have Einstein on speed dial? <laughs> as far as I know, so there are stories that he was pals with Einstein. I think he wasn't. I think that at one point, actually, Terraman has been quote, like, quoted as having said he was friends with Einstein, but other people think that probably he meant Eisenstein, the filmmaker, and that he misspoke in a later interview when he said that he was hanging out with Einstein and he really was hanging out with Einstein. I guess it's easy to get them confused. But he did go to Alcatraz? Yeah, yeah. He designed the first metal detectors for Alcatraz. Are any of his inventions still around, i.e. like the original versions that you can say? You say that there's some in Calgary at the National Music Center, the original Thurman. Have you seen any of his original inventions? Because he had some other things that he created. Yeah, there's other, there is a Terman Center, like a very small museum collection in Moscow, at, uh, part of the Conservatory of Music there. And they have stuff, but when I visited, unfortunately, most of it was packed away because they were doing renovations. So I haven't seen, I've seen sort of little bits and pieces, but very little of his actual kind of wiring. And he also invented a way to transport vehicles over water electronically? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. What were some of the inventions that you heard that he did, aside from the theremin? Well, he worked on uh, he worked on early television work. He made a kind of an early drum machine. He developed. He had theories for to do stuff to do with male impotence and cryogenics. Now, he had what, ideas now, for, for altimeters and the you know jets. 
try to do jet ski. Oh, right, preventing rust. Uh, he had a machine that kind of, depending on what note was playing, would would uh, project a different color of light. He had a theremin dance stage, so it was like a, huge, a whole platform that, depending on how the dancer moved upon it, would play a different note. So in a way, you could play a song by moving in a particular way with your whole body. Have any of his inventions been created after his death using his plans? <laughs> I d- no, not that I... Well, who, who knows? Not that, no, not that anyone's told me. What was the impotence thing? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I just, I, all I basically know is like... And then he was researching male impotence. I don't know how far he got with that. I was just trying to imagine how the theremin might be involved in that, electronically or something. <laughs> he would electronically oh, yeah. stimulate? Is that maybe what it was? Maybe, you, yeah. You, or you wave your hand in the air and, and something begins to rise. And what happened to Terraman's American wife, Lavina? And what happened to Terraman, for the people that are wondering, he was in New York and then he ended up in Russia, as you mentioned? Yeah, so the, well, the, the real-life story, I mean, the, the snapshot version is that he was here and uh, he uh, tried to marry Clara, Clara Rockmore. That didn't happen. He ended up marrying a woman named Lavinia Williams, who is one of the very first African-American ballet dancers, prima ballerinas. Um, and she spoke Russian and other languages, a brilliant lady and later a painter. Anyway, and then he disappeared without saying goodbye in the night, one night, and returned to Russia. And so my book looks at that and imagines a version of it. In real life, what happens to Lavinia is that she kind of moved on. She later married someone else. I think she moved to Haiti and was very important for some of the kind of resurgence of arts and modern dance in, uh, in Haiti in the 20th century. But I don't know that much about her. And how about Terraman's niece? His niece, I, his I relatives. Know. Like, didn't his relatives continue on playing? Oh, there's yeah, there are more. And then, oh, you might be also thinking of Lydia Kavina, who um, is credited with being his niece, but isn't. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no really famous thereminists in the theremin family. Though Peter Theremin, the kind of brutish man, brutish man I talked about earlier, he does play concerts in Russia. And we're speaking here to Sean Michaels, author of the book, Us Conductors, All About the Theremin. Is that right for me to say all about the theremin? How do you pitch it to the people? Yeah, well, it's like it's, it's a story inspired by the story of the theremin, I guess. And I think the theremin is like, the theremin is at the center of the book, but it's also in some ways at the metaphorical center of the book, where the book's a lot about kind of the way that we send signals to each other or, or activate each other without actually being in, in close enough to touch. He ends up in a gulag in Russia? Yeah, yeah, in, in Siberia. Now, why is that? Why, well, was, why was he in prison? They thought he was a U.S. spy. He told a bad joke. Why did he really end up in a gulag? Well, the crucial thing is that he, when he returned to Russia in the mid-30s, suddenly Stalin had come to power, and it was the Stalin's terrors, as it's known, in full bloom, full bloody bloom, uh, which meant that Stalin... the the communist authorities were extremely paranoid and they were imprisoning people for kind of no reason at all, really brutally. And so in Terman's case, essentially, we don't, we don't know what the reason... He probably never... They, they probably didn't know. It's most likely that basically just his having been in America uh, and had friends in America was enough to, to send him away. Did he kill a guy in prison or did you make that part up in your book? <laughs> I feel like I'm a police interrogation about these murders. Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 made, I'm, I made that up. However, to survive in a gulag for all those years, he must have had to endure some sort of fights. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, it's a big question of why this little kind of slightly shrimpy, sciencey nerd um, was able to thrive in that context. I, I think he must have had a certain kind of internal strength. I think that's what made me start wondering about, like, dreaming up this kung fu stuff was as an answer to that question. What was that thing that he made in the gulag? Did you make that up? And what was that thing that he made? Because when he was in a gulag, it wasn't just a gulag where it's just, you know, a country club gulag. It was like a full-on gulag, right? Yeah, well, for the first part of his time in prison, he was at a, he was like out in the taiga in, you know, working with, in connection with a gold mine there. And so people were dying and working very, very hard. And he was on road duty, which meant that he had to kind of carry rocks from one place to another place um, along the road uh, in wheelbarrows. And um, so there's reason to believe he's described in the historical record as having invented these kind of uh, tracks or rails for the uh, wheelbarrows to travel along. And that's more or less all we know is like that sentence. Um, and so my book does kind of imagine what he may have invented, what, what that meant by inventing tracks for the wheelbarrows. And then eventually he ends up in a place where other inventors and scientists are, right? Yeah, he ends up in a uh, in a what's called a sharashka, which is a prison for scientists. And that's where he was forced to create those spying devices, like the thing? What was the thing? The thing is one of the most notorious bugs, eavesdropping devices in the history of the Cold War. And so that was a wooden, a giant wooden crest of the United States of America. So it's this big eagle that was uh, allegedly whittled by Russian Boy Scouts and given to the ambassador of Amer- the American ambassador in Russia, and it was hung at the embassy. But it, secretly inside of it was an absolutely brilliant eavesdropping device that didn't require tape or electricity or moving parts. It was like an inert antenna that they could still use by firing microwaves at it, that they could still use to listen in, even though it had none of the sort of components of other eavesdropping devices of that time. And this was the thing that Terraman invented. And how long was he in jail then? How long was he imprisoned at that point? Was he let out after he created that? No, no, he remained in prison for a long time after that. Um, And I mean, it's one of those funny things in that the thing became famous in America. Like once the CIA discovered it, it was like this showpiece on the floor of Congress to show how evil the Soviets had become and was brought out, I think, in the mid-50s. So it was this famous... Uh, uh, incident, and it wasn't until decades later that anyone found out that the guy who invented that weird theremin instrument was also the one who, behind this sinister eavesdropping device. But he stayed in jail. He basically had a sentence, and he had to serve out a sentence of, I think, about 10 years. Um, it was probably extended a bit, etc. And et uh, But eventually he was released, probably when he was just old enough. Like They just thought, oh, he's old and not very useful anymore. Did he ever meet any other inventors like Sikorsky or Kalishnikov, the AK-47 guy? Yeah, he, well, within j- uh, in jail, he met a bunch of, you know, he was working with people, but he was also right before he went to, like, in, when he was sort of a young, brilliant guy in um, the early 20s, he, there was a lot of talk in Russia about, like, coming, all these inventors of the time coming together to form a kind of a bold new order that would help humanity, and they were kind of forming clubs of, genius inventors and he was part of those I can't remember the other inventors that were part of it but there's a whole bunch of brilliant guys who were all kind of at that time talking about getting together for the good of humanity 
didn't really work out. Sean, your book, Us Conductors, is basically like a biography of Terramin, isn't it? Lev Terramin, the guy who invented the theremin. It's a biography, isn't it? I want to believe it's a biography. <laughs> you can believe, yeah. <laughs> you can, it's a very misinformed, uh, dreamy biography, yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that's right in it, isn't there? There's a lot of stuff that's right. Sure, there's a lot of stuff that's right, but the problem is that it's, it's undistinguished from the stuff that's very wrong. I want to believe it, though. I love the little tidbits that are in there. I was curious, though, is there one thing you wished you could have asked Terramin when you were writing the book, like things you didn't understand or wondered about? Well, like the, what he was doing at the stupid tracks in the Gulag is a great example. I had read that, oh, he did a track in the Gulag, and then when I went to Russia and went to Siberia, I was kind of walking around one of these former sites and being like, wait, there's no way that, like, he laid down miles and miles and miles of wheelbarrow tracks that he was allowed to do that. Uh, so I, I suddenly had to figure out what his invention could have been, and I would have really liked to ask him. Was the wheelbarrow experiment a real story then? You're thinking that maybe it wasn't? Well, I, it wasn't. It can't have been just as simple as what he said. Like, I really don't think, like, it was like, I don't know, five or six miles. I just couldn't see the camp authorities being like, okay, sure, we'll, like, create tracks for you for miles and miles and miles. So the solution in my book is that, is that I decided that what he, his innovation was to create these little sections of tracks that people could drag around. So you'd really only need, you know, about 10 feet of track. And then when the, all the wheelbarrows are through it, you run around and, you know, put another one in front of it and something like that. So that was in my head. Maybe, maybe that's what Terman invented, but I don't know. I didn't get, couldn't ask him. Was there a Bigfoot, a Bigfoot being his buddy in the gulag? <laughs> yeah, no, I invented, I invented that character. Do you think that there was a Bigfoot? Like, is there any documentation of friends that met him in the Gulag? Like, how documented is Terraman's life? It's not. He never wrote a biography, and he didn't keep a diary. Really, what it is is there's interviews with him later in his life. Well, I mean, everything was documented very well at the first part of his life when he was a huge star and everyone was writing articles about him. But the last part of his life was really just interviews he sat with, sat for. There's when no he's very old. Are there any books on him? Like aside from your book, Us Conductors, what are the other Terraman books you'd recommend to people? So there's one marvelous book that my book leans on very heavily, and if you're interested in the true, real facts of his life, you must read it and obtain it. And it's by Albert Glinsky, and it's called Theremin, Ether Music and Espionage. When did that come out? Before or after the documentary? I think after, but still everything's within the last like fifteen years or so. It's, a, it's more of a scholarly text. Um, he teaches at, I think, the University of Chicago or maybe in Massachusetts. In the documentary, you see how he made like a cake for Clara, the special clay cake. What can you describe about the cake? So for Clara's, I think, 18th birthday, or maybe it was her 19th birthday, he made this cake that used the same principle as the Thurman, so it had this emitted electrical field, and then when... When, uh, so it looked like a simple cake, but that when she came close to it and entered its invisible electrical field, it then kind of swiveled around to reveal a birthday candle and, uh, in a kind of magical way. And that was captured in the documentary. A lot of stuff was captured. That's what I meant. Like, that's amazing that that moment was captured. Yeah, but then there's all these other moments that are, you know, like you talk about that Coney Island. You know, he played all of these, Roy, uh, what's it called, um, Carnegie Hall shows and these huge arena concerts and there's, uh, I've never seen any, anything from any of it. 
Sean, you're the author of Us Conductors All About the Theremin, a novel about the theremin, Lev Theremin. What was the first band that you reviewed that had a theremin in it? Because you also do said the gramophone blog. What was the first band that you encountered, modern band, that had something to do with the theremin? I think it was probably when Wolf Parade started to have Haji from Wolf Parade started to use a theremin. I think that was the first time I was seeing it in like a li- live and in person at a show. How about Manor Asterman? Have you seen them at all? Because they've done some amazing battles, theremin battles with fires. Yeah. I've only seen it on YouTube, but it, yeah, it's awesome. And there's like the Octopus Project as well. Have you seen the hmm. Octopus Project? No, I, I haven't seen the Octopus Project live, no. Who are the modern practitioners of thereminism, if people want to go out there and check them out? I mentioned actually off the top of the show, maybe I didn't mention you, but there's a band in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the Vicious Cycles, they have a theremin. What are some other thereminers out there if people want to check them out that are doing it these days? Well, I know that Montreal now has this young band called Singja, who have a theremin player that uh, performed at my book launch. And so does this band called uh, the Hydrothermal Vents. Um, John Kelly sometimes plays theremin. Um, uh, Octopus Project are very, in terms of theremin bands, they're near, or at least indie rock theremin bands, they're pretty near the top but you know other bands like the john spencer blues explosion probably bust them out now and then or uh what's it called um uh well i saw um, black flag had a theremin on the oh, really? tour yes greg ginn was playing a theremin i mean the weird thing about the theremin is anyone like basically any warm-blooded human being can make a sound on a theremin the tricky part is 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 using it with any precision and uh, as anything other than a sound effect. And also, Cleopatra and the Nile, maybe you want to mention that one more time, because they're playing with you tonight in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah, Victoria, maybe Vancouver Island's greatest theremin band is playing with me tonight as part of this reading here in Victoria at the Solstice Cafe at uh, 7 o'clock. And I thought we'd play something to end our interview there, Sean, by Cleopatra and the Nile. Are all their tracks theremin? Like, can I just pick any one? Yeah, I think so. That's the main instrumentation. What is the instrumentation of them, and how did you meet them? How did you meet them? Synthesizer. How did you meet them? Well, I don't know if you do. There's a a wonderful human being and musician called David Barkley, formerly of Victoria, I think. Friends Um, with Vish. A friend of, oh yeah, he's a friend of Vish. I'm a friend of Vish. And thank you, and thank you, Vish, for setting up this interview. Who is Who is Vish, and who is David Barkley? Please tell the people. So Vish Khanna is a wonderful journalist and a friend of music who uh, has the great podcast Creative Control. He's formerly of CBC and, and in Guelph Public Radio um, and writes for Exclaim. And uh, he's a friend of mine who helped make this happen. And then Dave Barkley used to have a band called The Parker Three and The Diskettes and The Endless Bummer and Gerde Touk. And he promoted shows in Montreal and and in Vancouver and Victoria, and he's a lovely dude as well. And he did a show on CITR Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah, and he, so he's buddies with Sarah Murphy, the theremin player from uh, Cleopatra on the Nile, and that's how I heard about them. That's amazing! Uh, are you getting a lot of theremin feedback from people? Are you meeting, like, pe- are people bringing theremins out for you to sign and stuff like that? <laughs> I'm definitely meeting people who are interested and intrigued by the theremin, and, and when I do, I'm doing an American book tour this where I'm going to be uh, performing with guest thereminists at each town I stop in. So I'm, I've been emailing a lot with various thereminists around the United States, and they're a very strange variety of people. There's a label out there called Lobster Theremin in Berlin. 
Oh, really? The Lobster Theremin record label, and there's a local band in Vancouver called 1-800-HATE-STREET. 1-800-HATE-STREET. And they're on the Lobster Theremin record label. Lobster Theremin. Great. Theremin is everywhere these days. Yeah, I think they, I actually think that they're kind of in fashion and coming back. Um, And we may not have heard the last of good theremin music. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Sean, about your book? Maybe just explain one last time about your book, Us Conductors, and the theremin, and Lev Theremin. So Us Conductors is the imagined, slightly fantastical story of uh, Lev Theremin, the inventor of the theremin, that strange instrument that is played without touching it that sounds something between a UFO and a beautiful soprano singing. Um, and uh, my book is out now in shops everywhere. Uh, and uh, it will be published in the United States, if you're listening in the States, um, with Tin House Books on June 10th. So you did find a publisher in the States then? Yeah, I did, yeah. Where's your book tour going to go in the States? It sounds really interesting. I'm planning to visit New York, Brooklyn, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Durham, Asheville, Atlanta, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland. That's really quite intense, and Random House was not into it. They were not nope. into it. <laughs> no. No, well, I mean, it's all about... So my book tour in the States is a very DIY affair, so if you're, if you're out there, I'd really love to see you. You're from Montreal, but have you got any selfies with Rob Ford at all? <laughs> I have yet to... Well, we've yet to bump... But who knows, maybe he's hanging around... Vancouver Island. No one really knows where he is. Well, I just was curious because you're on these promo tours and stuff. Did you do a promo tour in Toronto? Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who have you been running into? Who else is on the promo circuit these days? Well, I'll tell you. At my book launch in Toronto, none other than Molly Ringwald was in the room. She attended. Amazing. What was she doing there? Is she from Toronto? I mean, is she ha- living there now? No, I guess she was just hanging out. I guess she was visiting Toronto. I think probably she was playing a show. She sings. She's a jazz singer now. But uh, she was there. How about Bruce Hack? Any Bruce Hacking theremin <laughs> connections that are possibly alluded to in the book? Well, n- no, but maybe in the next edition I could try doing that. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for phoning into the Nardware to Human Serviette radio show. Really appreciate your book again, Us Conductors. And we're going to end here with Cleopatra on the Nile, as suggested by David Barkley from The Cassettes. Thank you, David. And is David back in Victoria? No, David now uh, lives in Woods Hole, uh, like Cape Cod, where he's a scholar of deep sea acoustics. Oh, right, right. But he's still repping Victoria. That's amazing. Yeah, sure is. So we're going to hear right here Dracula's Diamonds by Cleopatra on the Nile, featuring some theremin. You can guarantee there's some theremin on here. Yeah, I think I can guarantee that. And if people want more information about your book and stuff and hear some theremin sounds, they can go to your website, right? Yeah, it's at byshawnmichaels.com. You just type in Shawn Michaels, us conductors, and it comes out. Comes up. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Why should people care about us conductors? Why should people care? <laughs> well, uh, it's a good book. I, I think it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's my first, and I would love your support. Well, uh, thanks so much, Sean. Keep on rocking in the free world, and doot, 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 doot. Doot, doot.
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there Cleopatra and the Nile from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada with Dracula's Diamonds. Right now, to end the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show, have another track from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, the class of 1984 with special guest vocals by Ron Rays from Picky from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. This is from a split with The Excessives. We're going to hear Class of 1984. They are from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, but this time with special guest vocals by Ron Rays, ex-Black Flag. And actually, when I saw Ron play with Black Flag, that's when I saw Greg Ginn bring out the theremin in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, last summer. So class of 1984, we're going to hear Torment Me, and then we're going to hear something by Happy Noose from Olympia, Washington, Amagosa. Thanks so much. Keep on rocking in the free world. And class of 1984. 